This is WJR's Business Biography. Now here's your host, Jeff Sloan. Welcome to Business Biography. I'm your host, Jeff Sloan. Business success can be defined in many ways, especially a family-owned business, one which has a certain deeper level of pride of ownership associated with it, one which supports not only a family, but even generations of family members, one which serves consumers in a way that is uniquely valuable and enriching to the community in which it's based. Today on Business Biography, we're featuring the story of just such a business, one which certainly qualifies by any standard measure as a highly successful one, but more importantly, one which goes way beyond any standard measure in its value to the family, the people who work there, and the community around it. Our story today features the Franklin Cider Mill, the iconic cornerstone enterprise located in Franklin, Michigan. Now, this isn't your average cider mill. This cider mill was founded originally as the Franklin Grist Mill on the banks of the Franklin River in 1837, that being the same year that Michigan gained statehood. It was Robert McKee who purchased the property in 1918 and then changed the mill from a grist mill to a cider mill. Then in 1966, the mill was purchased by Jack Peltz, and the ownership has remained in the Peltz family ever since. Joining us today to tell the story of the Franklin Cider Mill is third-generation family member Melanie Peltz, Jack's granddaughter and current CEO of the iconic business in Franklin, Michigan, that continue to delight customers every fall. Melanie, welcome. It's a pleasure having you on with us today. Let's start with how your family became involved in the Franklin Cider Mill. So I am a third generation. My grandfather wasn't the starter of the Franklin Cider Mill, but he purchased it in the mid-60s. From there, ran this incredible mill where at one point he did to change everything from the energy and the electricity to turn it into an electrical mill versus what was being ran by, let's call it the water wheel, which everybody knows as. Obviously, I wasn't born yet. I was born about nine years after he had owned it. And then from that point on, he took that business and turned it into an extremely busy business for the weekends, for families and all that kind of fun stuff. So you were a grandchild growing up, right, in this business. Tell us about your first memories of the business. You know, when you went there, how it made you feel, what the experience was like. Tell us about that. Absolutely. So having a family own the Franklin Cider Mill was like the coolest thing growing up. All my friends wanted to get like backdoor tours and I thought I was like the queen. And I remember like kindergarten going for like the first field trip of going to the cider mill and I was actually being taken back to see how everything's being made and, you know, going back where not everyone gets to go back and of course getting special treatment because I was the owner's granddaughter. So I felt like it was such a cool thing to do and all these memories watching my grandfather, watching family members work there, understanding the business. And it was just a cool thing to do because at that time, it was like an iconic spot that everybody wanted to go to. So it's been that for a long time, obviously, still is. And even back then, it was part a place for you to be able to go pick up some fresh apples grown locally, but also an opportunity to pick up some fresh cider made right in front of you. And also part experience. You know, it's like going to the cider mill is not just about picking up a thing of donuts and some cider, although it certainly is that, but it's much more. 
It's an experience. Correct, 100%. It is an experience. It's much more than just kind of running into like a store to pick up what you need. It's to watch, it's to see, it's to see all the action and see everything be made like right in front of you, which is, you know, which is a cool experience because not very many businesses offer that. Yes, and as the modern age marches on, we become more and more distant from the source. You know, how many people, and certainly if we didn't have orchards welcoming us in, how many people would even see an apple growing on a tree these days? How many people would actually see cider being made? These are not the kinds of things that in our fast-paced, breakneck speed world that we live in today, based largely on technology, it's kind of a snap your fingers and, and it appears kind of world we live in these days. But back then, being able to touch and feel, and even today, that experience is really very tactile. It's rich, full of texture, even though... I wouldn't say that your mill is right in the country, really. It certainly was at one time. But still, you feel like you step onto your property and you're in the country. No, absolutely. I think, yeah, you touched on a couple of things. Like, I feel like nowadays everything's hidden. All the kitchens are hidden where everything is being made in front of you. They never want to see you. They never want the public to see what's actually going in, what people are doing. Are they really washing their hands? Are they not? We are completely on display from open to close which is hard because, you know, I always have to make sure every employee, you know, during COVID, that mask had to be up covering their nose. We were being, getting pictures taken. You know, everybody watches everything you do, including the health department. So we really have to stay on our toes all day long with every code, every health thing, which I would want anyways, but we have no choice but to, you know, to do it. It's on display, you know, our donut making from mixing the mixes, you know. Let me ask this, um, going back to the early days, do you guys have your own orchard or are the apples sourced from other growers? We do not have our own orchard because of the cider mill is so unique in an old Franklin town, which we can touch on that later, which is now considered Bloomfield Hills, but we are originally were in Franklin. There is no room for an actual apple orchard. So my grandfather developed relationships with a couple of people who own their orchards up, you know, in upstate Michigan, Grand Rapids, Michigan, and we usually get our apples from there, you know, depending on what kinds. We do sometimes get some local orchards. We'll, you know, touch on if they have different kinds, like spy apples are like the hardest apple to get. So we'll go to a local orchard for that. We try to promote local Michigan orchards within, you know, a couple hour radius from us because I think that's such an important thing. What was the business like back then? Was it still basically cider, donuts, and apples? Actually, back then, it was, you know, it's the same original building from back then. So that is why it's such a unique place, because it's the original building from 1832. But with that being said, um, back then, when my grandfather took it over, he was really just selling cider and donuts and caramel apples. Other than that, that is it. You wouldn't see any baked goods. You wouldn't see any breads. Yes, we sold apples. We had an apple shack with a different variety of apples. But that is it. He was a very minimalistic person didn't believe in expanding the business any more than he needed to. Up until he realized he had to start, you know, keeping up with everybody else, as then he started bringing in apple slushes, some of the baked goods, the breads, the pies. But it was a very gradual process. So my grandfather is the original owner of House of Foods, which I never knew about or any of that stuff. But every time my people say, oh, my God, your grandfather's Jack Peltz, he owned House of Foods. That was the only market we used to go to. It was the supermarket, I guess, where all of our parents grew up and they would walk to it and it had the fruit, uh, grocery store stuff. They were known for their like meat and their poultry and their fish and everybody loved going to House of Foods. He, at that point, 
moved out of, I think he lived in Farmington then, Detroit first, then Farmington, then he moved to Franklin. When he bought this house in Franklin, the realtor said, hey, there's a business up the street for sale. Would you be interested in looking in it? And he went up there and he looked at it and he was like, what is this? And he was always ahead of his time. And he looked at it and said, this sounds like a fantastic business. I'm going to buy the business. And that's exactly what he did. And I don't think he knew exactly 100% what he was doing when he first did it. And then he learned and he took it and taught the whole family and everybody what to do. He was instantly like a gem there and understood it all. It was a natural thing for him. And that's just how it happens. At least for Jack Peltz, that is. He found a business to buy that, as Melanie remembers, was a business he thought sounded fantastic. And with that, he bought it. And young Melanie found herself a part of the Franklin Cider Mill team. We're headed to a quick break. Back with more in a minute right here on Business Biography. Welcome back to WJR's Business Biography with your host, Jeff Sloan. Welcome back to Business Biography. I'm your host, Jeff Sloan. Today we're featuring the story of the beloved Franklin, Michigan business, the Franklin Cider Mill. As told by third generation family member and current CEO, Melanie Radner. And there you were, young child, Jack's granddaughter, became aware of the business. You already mentioned you had a great sense of pride. Everyone around you, your friends, thought it was so cool, your peers. And certainly it was, I'm sure, and still is today. Very cool. What an unusual, really, and distinctive business it is, but also with its rich history and the joy that you bring to everyone that comes there. It's such a great, great business to be in. It's one thing to make be in business to make money. It's another to be in business to make money and make lots of smiles and lots of happy people, and you guys do that. Melanie, ultimately, your grandfather transitioned control of the business to your father. So my grandfather had this business. My father, Barry, did other different businesses as well. And he, you know, Cider Mill was always his family business. My dad worked at the Franklin Cider Mill for a while. Him and my grandfather got along pretty well, but it was still my grandfather's business. So my dad took over the business when my grandfather passed away. And at that point, my dad took it and took it to another level. In his mind, he saw marketing. He saw so much potential. And at what point did you first get involved working at the family business, Melanie? So when my grandfather owned the business, I used to come in from college. My grandfather used to make me work on the weekends. I was like that one girl who had to like get up early on a Sunday morning and drive in to work. And I did it. And I learned the business. And, you know, I kind of resented him a lot for it. But now I don't. He would always say to me, he would like bribe me with it. He would say it's work ethic. It was one of those like kind of guilt, guilt tripped, you know, and I used to always go visit him, you know, in Florida and he would kind of guilt trip me in it. And it was tough working for him. He was a really tough boss. Back in that day also, when you had to ring up sales, you had to write everything down on a piece of paper, adding and subtracting, which was a lot of long, you know, addition and subtraction. And he always came and checked it. I mean, he made you nervous. He was like one of those tough bosses. And then when my dad took it over, Everybody was like, oh, here's the sun. And my dad brought a different energy to the cider mill. Similar but different. My dad was into more marketing, and he was into making these signs and putting signs everywhere and turning it kind of into like what I didn't love it, like a flea market look, which the city didn't like it either because they went back and forth with us, and he lost that battle. But he did make some great changes. He brought what that tent was up front, which is like a little market now with all the Michigan products. So he did bring some unbelievable aspects to the cider mill 
Everybody loved working for him. My dad was this like cool, jivey guy, friendly, talked to everybody. Incredible, incredible man. So I always worked for him as well. I went in, came on the weekends. During the week, he'd call me. They were short-staffed. I'd jump in. Wherever I was needed, I would jump in. If I could, if I could. At this point, was he guilting you into it, or did you love it and you were there? You wanted to be part of it? Both. I loved it, but I was like, oh, I had other Gino jobs. I had kids, you know, young kids. It was hard, but I did it to me. You know, he's my dad. You know, they always, they do everything for you, so you kind of owe it to them. It was great watching him do it. He had such pride and joy. He literally, his whole wardrobe changed to, like, Franklin Sidermill shirts. It's every year. It's all he wore, like, 24-7. Watching him in the business, I still never thought it was going to be me to take it over one day. Everyone would say, well, who's going to take it over? You know, maybe one of your kids, my brother and I, my dad's children, both have, you know, you know, boys. Maybe one of the boys. I'm like, eh, I don't know. We'll figure it out when we have to figure it out. Right now, we don't have to figure it out. So it didn't matter. But I really, truly never thought it was going to be me. I thought I'd, you know, keep it in the family, but I just never thought it was going to be me. Again, I was there more and more learning the business. And then my dad, about seven years ago, got diagnosed with dementia and still was able to run the business, but I kind of stepped in a little bit more and started working a little more, trying to learn the business just in case if something, you know, would go bad. And then as I was working there, I noticed his memory started decreasing. People who worked for him, I guess you would say, because it's really a, it's a team there. I started noticing taking advantage. I'm like, I got to get right in there. Kind of jumped right in um, full time while he was still there. They didn't like that I was there, by the way, but had to learn the business, learn this business, watch my dad um, still have so much pride and smile and try to help him with it. You know, if he forgot how to do something, I would remind him. And then it got too bad where he unfortunately was unable to run the cider mill anymore. His mind was just gone. He couldn't remember how to do anything. So that is when I stepped in in 2019. That's my fourth year running it. And you stepped in out of need at that time. Did you look at that as an opportunity? Did you look at it as, oh, no, this burden, you know, that I've got to step in and keep the thing from imploding? How were you feeling when you were kind of thrust into that position? It's a good question. So when my brother, Jason Peltz, myself, and my dad has a sister, Laura, we had this family talk, like, what are we going to do? You know, we're the three adults. What are we going to do with this business? My brother said, Mel, what do you think? Do you think you'd be interested in running it? I think you'd be incredible at it. You're at a time in your life. You know, my son was just going to be starting college. My daughter, I think, was in sixth grade. You know, I could get help, you know, with a nanny, whatever, or a babysitter. And I was like, you know what? Yeah. He's like, you could do this. This would be awesome. This would be an awesome career for you. You would love this. So I'm like, I got it. Yes, I would love to do it. The opportunity, my, I talked it over with my kids and my husband. And they're like, how can you pass this up? So I did. And then my aunt, who's my dad's sister, who's lived in Ohio for all these years, said, you know what, I'll come help you get it off. It's, you know, if we need any help for a couple of years and we'll be partners together and do this. So that is exactly how I looked at it as an incredible opportunity to hold the family legacy. And um, I looked at it as an honor that I was even chosen to do it. And then when you took it over, was it the kind of thing where it was kind of overdrive? This is a management issue or is this something more than that? It's a, yeah, it's a huge question. So I knew all the employees who've worked there forever. So I was like, okay, now I have this opportunity. I need to reach out to each one of them. I think they were all a little nervous. I'm going to be very blunt here that the daughter, this in their mind was like this little princess was actually going to come take over this business and work seven days a week and 13 hours a day. There is no way. Like I could see 
I could hear it in their voices when we called them and said, you know, listen, Melanie's, they're like, Melanie, you know, they were like, okay, well, whatever. They'll buy into it for a minute. And then a little overwhelming. I kind of went in there with like, I need to know everything. And I did know everything, not knowing that I did. I walked in there knowing everything and shocking myself, including everybody who works there. I knew, wait, it was all back here. Just by watching everybody, I I knew how to do everything in there. And I, I couldn't believe it myself. I was like, oh, I know how to do that. Can you make cider? Right. Um, <laughs> I know how to get the press started. Okay. I can't lift it, but I know how to do it all. Okay. But yeah, I mean, I think that was my biggest obstacle was to get respect from all the old time employees who worked for my grandfather, then my father, and now here's the little daughter. And I wasn't so little, but to them, I was still the little girl. So that was my biggest, I think, obstacle to get over. Once I gained respect and show them, then the business just became easy. My mind started like blowing up. I'm like, all right, we got to take this, you know, to the next generation and let's get this rolling and jumped right in. And I loved it. Melanie Radner feeling excited and fully energized to take her family's business to the next level and having earned the full support of the company's employees began her journey to do just that. And do just that she has done. Under her leadership, the Franklin Cider Mill has grown significantly, expanding the product mix, streamlining and creating efficiencies for the business, and amping up the experience that a customer enjoys when visiting. So much so that it seems that if you live in Southeast Michigan, no fall would be complete without visits to enjoy apple cider and the world-famous warm donuts at the Franklin Cider Mill. Headed to a quick break, back with more in a minute, right here on Business Biography. Welcome back to WJR's Business Biography with your host, Jeff Sloan. Welcome back to Business Biography. I'm your host, Jeff Sloan. Today, we're featuring the story of the iconic and beloved Franklin Cider Mill, now joining us again, third-generation member of the family-owned business and current CEO, Melanie Radner. Melanie, the Franklin Cider Mill is still under your leadership, of course, and it's still owned entirely by your family. You know, it's still owned by our family. Let's, I, I like to call it as a family business. We're co-owners, all of us. I, just, I like to keep things like that. It's, it's an easier, quote-unquote, like thinking I'm, I'm the actual owner. But learning the risk, getting the respect, running it, and turning into the owner, I think just kind of became like the natural thing to do, just kind of how it worked, you know, keep it in the family, granddaughter, it just, it just worked. And watching the business flourish and succeed and all the obstacles that I had, which we'll talk about also, you know, with COVID and everything, and gaining the respect and learning how to do everything from the ground on up, from the sewer, from outhouses to the river, to learning everything, I think that was a huge accomplishment for me as well as everybody because we are kind of like we're a team there you cannot run that business without without the, the employees that I have so tell us this what does it mean to run an orchard business like what are the moving the main moving parts what's happening on a daily basis it's a lot a lot more than everyone thinks I think that there's a big facade out there that everyone thinks oh you go in the cider mill you're only there for 90 days and yeah and then you're done and you get to retire for the rest of the year and I look at people and I laugh. I used to believe that as well. But as you get into the business, there are so many moving parts in this business to make it successful and to make it what it is. With that being said, 
you know, you start off the cider mill. We start a month and a half earlier than we actually open. We start at the end of July, last week in July. We don't open for business. We open, like, getting in, doing a checklist. Like I said, it's the original building. So going in there, things break. Your presses break. Your compression breaks. The donut machine breaks. And these parts are so hard to find because they're so old. You know, we didn't modernize everything because you have to keep it old. Searching for the parts, getting that all together. At the end of each season, we take apart the full donut machine, the full press, every screw. We wash, we bleach, every single thing. So starting at the end of July, it's putting it all back together again. I don't actually do it. I have my employees who do it, but obviously I'm overseeing it, making sure all that is, making sure all of our orders are on order, making sure, you know, we don't even know at that point what apples are going to be good, you know, when we start to open because it changes the weather. So we are watching our apple, watching the climate, getting everything ready to go. You know, you've got your parking lot. You have to have inspections. You have Bloomfield Hills inspections. You have, you know, permits. You have to pull permits. There is so much going into it until we actually open. Orders, making sure all the vendors that we used to use are still, you know, using the same products. Do we want to still use them? How's our donut mix? You know, we created our own donut mix and our own spice. Are they still going? You know, that's a family business. It's the best in the world. Thank you. That's a family business. So, you know, it's a lot of like touching base with everybody, a lot of moving parts before you can actually say, okay, now let's get everything into the cider mill and start moving it. So there's a lot of upkeep, way more than anyone thinks there is. You know, we're on the river, the river overflows a lot, doesn't promote water, you have pipes. You know, there's just a lot more, I think, than people actually think that goes into it. And we don't need to talk about it because that's running a business, right? And then at some point, you're doing all that pre-planning, organization, uh, kind of the pre-season, if you will. And then there's opening day. Opening day is a Saturday of Labor Day. And like the week leading up to opening day is insane there. It's, it's the greatest feeling ever. All the products are in. We're setting everything up. You know, I'm bringing in lunch for everybody. We're laughing. It's a total laughing, fun part. We're all stressed. But, you know, it happens. And then this year, the power went out. And DTE's down for three days. And we had to bring in a generator. And guess what? We still did it. And um, that week leading up to it is great. I got to say this. So my father did die this past August 27th, literally eight days before the cider mill opened. I felt like he kind of like knew the cider mill was going to open. And he uh, wanted to give me probably like that space. But yeah, it was a little crazy, the timing. When I say literally eight days before we actually opened for business. So that was another, I feel like there's always, um, every year when, I, when I'm when i running it, I always feel there's like a challenge. My grandfather's up there going, let's see if she can handle this one. Let's see if she, you know, he's probably going, I can't believe she's doing this, you know. So I get always these uh, challenges and obstacles, and they're good for me because it keeps me, you know, moving and rolling. Tell us about the business today. We talked about how it was when you, Jack Pelch, your grandfather, had it back in the mid-60s. Many things probably are the same, but there's a lot that's different, too. When I took it over, I looked at the business as how successful of a business it is to the outside, inside employees, but what can we do to make a difference? And at that point, we were always a cash business. Things have changed when I took it over as well, but um, I decided I wanted to bring in credit cards. I figured, you know, everybody always asked. We had two ATMs, you know, on site, so people could always get cash if they needed it. But like, I just didn't feel comfortable with all of that. So we brought in credit cards, life-changing. It does all the bookkeeping for me. I mean, I can go see what I sell every minute, every day, how many. I know how much cash you take in, too. Everything's there. So, you know, it's interesting how things change and made life easier for me as a bookkeeper because I also do that part of the business as well. So 
loved it. Customers loved it. I felt like they ended up buying a lot more, you know, instead of just having $20, they would say, oh my God, you have credit cards? Okay, we're going to take way more. And I think it made customers happy too. It made life so much easier for everybody and getting, you know, so stressed out that they never had enough cash for their kids who wanted an extra caramel apple or something. And what about product selection? How has that changed? So you've got your mainstay cornerstone type offerings, of course, the cider, the donuts, the apples. But what else are you offering now that is new? When my father brought in that tent in the front, they offer jams, Michigan-made jams, preserves. We do our Hickory Farm still, the meats, the cheeses. We have barbecue sauces, hot sauces, maple syrups. There's a variety of different kind of candies. Anytime a new product comes, people come to us and try to sell. We have pickles. We do all these unbelievable jar products that when we order... We order at the beginning of the season. We do a ton of orders. And literally the last day, we are sold out of everything. I mean, we sell out of all those products. And then we bring in, you know, breads. I try to support a couple, you know, local businesses as well. We do like, you know, Dakota breads. People love just coming halfway instead of having to drive to Orchard Lake Road. They stop in and get their, you know, halas and their unbelievable tin breads. Again, I support another family business that does pies. We love their pies. We do a huge Huge, huge business for around Thanksgiving pies, special orders. People love that. We do the caramel apples. On the weekends, I bring in corn. So we do a roasted corn on the premises, a, um, a corn truck, which people love. We do our roasted almonds. I feel like every year I bring in one new product to try it out to see is it like worth it because we don't have a lot of counter space either. Like that's what people, people are like, oh, why don't you sell this? There's not much room. I don't want to be a store. I want to be still a cider mill with, you know, cool products to get, but I don't want to do like an overload. And so there are certain products that are really nice to offer that just kind of round out the experience and really complete the picture. Then there are products that sell that are the mainstay cornerstone products of the business. What are those for you? Cider and donuts are always going to be your number one sellers. I mean, donuts by far is your number one. Cider by far, number two. Slushes are way up there with the hot cider. So I'm going to say our actual products that we make there are our top. Then from there, I would say the pies go phenomenally. And then the outdoor products. People love the maple syrups and the jams and the sauces. People go crazy for those. We bring in unique varieties like jalapeno hot sauce or jalapeno honey crisp barbecue sauce. Like they mix crazy things for us. And people love the uniqueness. This year, though, we brought in a new product, which I don't know if you've heard, called Donut Dust, which people are obsessed with. I was going to say, just by the name, I'll take it. Right, you'll, you'll take it. So like you said, our recipes from our, our donuts are right, the old German recipe. We're the only cider mill that serves the donuts hot right off the press. People always want cinnamon sugar on top. I will never turn our donut room into that ever. We are a traditional cider mill. People wanted this. People kept bringing me products to sell, and I'm like, make it up. So... A friend um, of my son's who is a chef said, this is what I do with my family. You should do this at the cider mill. And he was like, show me videos. I'm like, make it happen. Make me a product. Show me what you're doing. And if it works, I'll do it. He did it. We called it Donut Dust. We sell it after you buy your donuts and you put cinnamon and sugar. And you pour it on the hot donuts. You shake your bag. And now your hot donuts are covered in cinnamon and sugar. We have our apple shack, which sells the apples. And it all depends, again, what comes in each week. So we always usually get, we start off with ginger gold. It's always like our number one apple at the beginning of the season. It's an easy apple. We'll get in Ida Reds. We'll get in early Honeycrisp is what we always get in. We get in the Paula Reds. 
Those are usually our beginning apples. Is a Honeycrisp number one? Honeycrisp is our number one seller of apples. Early Honeycrisp does phenomenal, but it's a different taste. It's not as sweet. It gets sweeter like by the end of September, I would say. And then by mid-end of September, we'll get the full Honeycrisp in. We get the Macintosh in. We'll get our spy apples in. We start getting a variety. But again, every year it changes because it really depends on what the orchards, you know, apples. People don't understand that. They think, oh, what do you mean you don't have that? If it's not a good apple, we're not going to sell it. You know, and they come in, we get deliveries about three times a week from our orchard. So all the apples are fresh. Same with the apples that we make our cider with. We never tell anybody what they're made out of. I was just going to ask you what you're using. I knew you were. Uh, Of course. I knew it. So obviously we have our Honeycrisp cider, which is the pure Honeycrisp apples, only Honeycrisp. That's sold separately. And then when we do our variety of apples, our regular apple cider, again, it depends what comes in. My long-term employee who worked for my grandfather, my father, I call him like the chemist behind the scenes. He figures out what's going to taste good, and he does it. And we never tell people because everyone's like, oh, well, they always want to think, what are they tasting it? So if they just taste it, then they're like, this is incredible. What is it? And I'm like, it's a mixture of all of our apples. And, you know, it's just a better way to do it because every cider mill, it's kind of where they compete, you know, if you want to go around taking a taste test. So we never give away our secrets. So I have to ask you this. You're around apples all the time. What's your favorite? So when I want an apple and I go out there, I do take the honey crisp or crimson crisp because I like the sweet. I also do like the hardness in it. Like I don't love soft apples. And I feel like it's so weird, like I'm talking about apples, but like, I feel like like the ginger gold, they're like a little soft for me. People love them. You know, some people just like them for baking. And then the Macintosh, they're good. They're good. But like red eyes, they're, they're crunchy. The red eyes, they don't have a lot of taste. It's more tart, let's say, right? So if I'm going to eat an apple, I like a sweet apple. I love dipping it in the caramel, like, you know, the little side of the hot caramel is delicious. But yeah, that's what I like. You're listening to the story of our featured business today, the Franklin Cider Mill, as told by current CEO of the family-owned business, Melanie Radner. Back with more of today's feature right after this quick break, right here on Business Biography. Welcome back to WJR's Business Biography with your host, Jeff Sloan. Welcome back to Business Biography. I'm your host, Jeff Sloan. Our featured story today, the Franklin Cider Mill, as told by current CEO and third-generation family member, Melanie Radner. Melanie, you guys are a cornerstone in the community. I mean, uh, there is no other business like yours. You've been involved for a while now, but being the leader of the business since 2019 when you took it over... Is this business kind of now for you on auto drive? It is what it is. Or are you looking into the future and saying, we could take this here, there, wherever? Do you have ambition to grow the business? So with my aunt, my aunt is like the marketing person. She loves to do all the marketing behind the scenes. She answers the phones. We always look into each year, turning this into corporate parties, corporate events. For an example, Serena and Lily opened up in Birmingham. We catered it. We started doing collabs this year. Ray's Ice Cream reached out to me. We now do a, just during the season, a Franklin Cider Mill ice cream. My daughter actually created the flavor. It's their vanilla ice cream with our donuts and caramel. I love that idea, by the way. It's incredible. That is a great idea to extend the brand. So we did that this year and we only sold it. He sold out of it every you know time. I brought it on the, in on the weekends. I'm looking into doing something future with him as well bringing him, not him there on the weekends, us on the weekends, but maybe doing milkshakes or something with, again, with our custom ice cream that we've created together. I love that. I'm looking into always 
not growing the business because you can't sell our cider in any other stores. It's non-pasteurized, right? So we wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to brand it. Restaurants ask us to. If they want to buy 20 gallons and sell it in their drinks, that's up to them. I don't want to sell it to anyone else but us, you know, but keeping it with us. It just it just makes more sense again. But I think I want to work into more corporate events. I want to do, especially in November, which is really slow, business events. I feel like now that COVID is over, people are getting together again. So, you know, for all the tailgates, I want to do, maybe do something, partner up with maybe, you know, Michigan or Michigan State on their practice games and their film days, try to work out where we can get our cider and donuts there for them because they all come to the cider mill. They all do like Instagram posts of the Franklin Cider Mill and they all love it. So I'm trying to think of like new creative ways to get out into like that market, which I think is kind of cool. We do partner with the Detroit Pistons already on a couple of their um, charity things. They've reached out to us. So I partner with them with that. So I want to get more involved, I think, in like the local partnerships to try to put us out there, our name out there, along with them, you know, whether it's charity, whatever it may be, raising money for, you know, great causes. There are certain challenges associated with your business that you have to overcome too. And those are, for example, you're only open part-time during the year. You've got to make all of your revenue during a very short, compact period of time on the schedule. That's one factor. Another factor is that you are a regional business. Your cider is not pasteurized. You can't ship it. You can't have it on other shelves, you know, et cetera. You've got to sell what you make right there on location. 100%. Given those constraints, you also serve a regional market, you know, by the nature of the business. And so growth is a different kind of question as it relates to your business because of these natural and inherent constraints. When you think about growth, another factor is you can only have so many people through your location on a given day. So you have to think about optimizing business based on getting the maximum amount of traffic through customers through, but at the same time, maximizing the sell of every person that comes through. On a good weekend, like on a Saturday or Sunday, we'll have anywhere between 1,500 and 2,500 people coming in, maybe 3,000 on a really busy weekend. During the week, I'd say we stop between maybe like each day. It depends. Each day of the week, it just depends. We're really a weather permitting business also. Let's be real. When it's raining, no one really wants to go to the cider mill, right? So when it's sunny, people are like, oh, my God, let's go to the cider mill. Let's hang out. So when it's sunny, I could get like on a Monday or Tuesday anywhere between 500 and 1,200 customers. But on a rainy, I could get 300. I've opened up different sales areas. So now we have a lot of sales areas as well. So there's not really long lines like we used to. And I brought in online ordering. You can do your order ahead of time like a Starbucks, pre-order, boom, pull up, go to the window, give your order number, and you got your order. You're in and out. And I feel like a lot of the locals do that. Like on a weekend, they're like, oh, I want cider and donuts, but it's going to be so busy. They'll order online. They come in. They know they're in and out in like three, four minutes. Buy online, pick up in-store kind of thing. That's a great addition for your business. You're inherently and naturally an important part of the community, just being the business that you're in, offering families all that you do, the experience, the products, et cetera, the the joy that you bring to your customers. But how does it feel to you to own this business and interface with the community the way you do? It's being such a, you know, such an important part of the community. You talk about pride, honor. You're right. It does feel really good. I walk into work, like you said, has it become a routine? It's a routine. I'm on autopilot literally seven days a week. This month I kind of take off and then I miss it. It is. You walk in that business. My employees are great. It's hard to find employees. I have fantastic employees. My business would not run without the employees that I have. Obviously, every year I have to hire a new high schooler, you know, age girl kids because they graduate. But 
My core adult employees are insane. I adore them all. And they come back every year. I don't have any issues with anybody. I've never had to fire anyone in my four years. I've never had to anyone let go. They're trustworthy. I'm very fortunate. So starting off with that, right? So if you have a happy staff, then you're going to have happy customers. So my staff is always smiling and happy. So every customer who comes in, if they're in a bad mood or not, they have no choice but to smile because my employees like know how to like break the ice and make them laugh. So knowing that everybody walks in there, however mood they're in, they walk out smiling and happy. It's such a pride looking at the community and feeling like you just said, everybody loves the Franklin Cider Mill. I take a lot of pride in not just my products, but providing what my grandfather provided, what my father provided is the happiness, is the good times, is the memories that everybody continues, you know, can make there from childhood to growing up and bringing their grandchildren there. I listen to these stories. Oh, I used to come and now these are my grandchildren or people getting engaged there. It is a happy place. So to work at a happy place, the amount I do makes me happy. So when I go home from work, I'm not cranky. I'm happy. I mean, it's a lot of work, but like I'm happy that I'm able to provide the happiness to the whole entire community. I think that, uh, yeah, I'm just trying to live up to the legacy, like I said, like my dad. You know, so most people know my grandfather, but I would feel that um, I'm on the news a lot this year, and everyone talks about my dad. Oh, your dad was an icon. He was this, and also because he just passed away, I think they talk about it as well. It's a lot of pressure, a lot of pride. Yes, can't let him down, and can't let those customers who come in, even if I'm busy, would say, "Oh, your dad used to take time out and talk to me, so I gotta take my." You know, I have to kind of prove to everybody that I'm, um, you know, I'm different than my father, but I'll talk to anybody and do whatever makes everybody happy. That's my goal at that business is to walk out of there, making sure everybody left there happy. And leave happy we do, Melanie. We love your business and are thrilled to have had you on with us today to tell the backstory of how you and your team make it all happen. So many of us not only appreciate the great apples, cider, and donuts, of course, but moreover, the great memories we make while visiting. You've been listening to the story of the Franklin Cider Mill, as told by our guest today, Melanie Radner, right here on WJR's Business Biography. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening to Business Biography on the great voice of the Great Lakes, 760 WJR.